Hi, and welcome to the Irana Hills Church of Christ podcast. We hope this message from Pastor AJ Hines brings you closer to knowing God, finding freedom in Him, and understanding what He has in store for you and your community. To learn more about Irana Hills Church of Christ, head to aranahills.church. We hope you enjoy this message. Father, thank you this morning that we are together in this place, not just with each other, but always with you. Thank you, Lord, when we entered here, you came in with us, but by us being together, we can just hear your voice so clearly this morning. I pray that people will be open to receive it, that we would form our lives around the context of who we are in your eyes, and that that would be the reference of our life. Thank you this morning that we can readjust our hearts and our rhythms to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may take your seat. For those that are standing, so good to be with you this morning. And um, just going to get set up here. Um, I had a phenomenal coffee from our team this morning. I just wanted to mention it. It's an almond latte. So just make a little mental note if that's what you want to buy us during the week. We've had an anonymous donor every time uh, buy our team coffees just down the road. So for whoever it is, thank you so much. It's because of you that we're here this morning. (laughs) Um, Please continue to do so. And if you're unable, raise some volunteers. I love what I'm seeing in the Christmas wish list project. And usually the team produce a project that people partake in. But I love the fact that this year... The majority of our projects are coming from you, are coming from people that are part of this body uh, that have the opportunity to share into the community. And um, I love the fact that we just record it as it is and we just post it up there because we love authenticity in this place. And I pray that God's authentic voice and expression would be expressed this Christmas to our community. We have between 200 and 250 families that we dream to serve through our six projects, and some of them will benefit from multiple projects as they come into need this year. So please find a spot. It's, there's, there's things that are very simple that requires your hand on a piece of paper to write an inspiring message to someone that is isolated in our local community to something you can contribute to. And if you don't know what to do, you can give financially to the whole. Just market Christmas wish list. Um, if that's easy enough for you, if you're traveling, you're doing business, why don't you just do that? And I'm sure Tyler will pick it up in the books, and we'll celebrate in the office as those massive donations come in for our people. We're part of a series called Anchored, and today will be the conclusion of that. And it's been a great time of reading and rereading the book of Daniel through most of it. And I've found it fascinating because I really haven't spent much time in the book, Confession Time, <laughs> apart from kids' church when I was a child. And I can't remember a lot about that. Um, except some of the vivid stories and images that come through the book. But our core text that we have anchored on has been this one, Hebrews 6, verse 18 to 19. And I, this week, played around with a few translations and came across this one in the Passion. And just want to read that as a bit of a change this morning. So it is impossible for God to lie. We know that His promise and His vow will never change. And now we have run into His heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. Love that. 
This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time. An unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold, which we know is the curtain that has been torn. There's no separation between us and God anymore. And so we're living into this now and not yet, but God is our hope. He is our anchor and he is our faith. Faith is a gift. It's something God gives us. It's the ability to respond to his nature and his opinion over our lives. It's not something we can take for granted. It's not something that solely belongs to us individually. It is God's opinion over the whole of humanity. And that's what we do when we come together in community as we reflect on that. Hope is the confident expectation in the goodness of God. When you are faced with things that try and persuade you otherwise, that try and say that God is testing you, He's sending across your path. No, we anchor ourselves in the good news revealed in Christ Jesus, and that to us gives us a confident expectation of a different type of future, irrespective of the situation that we face in front of us. This week, I've been spending some time in Daniel 6, and the story here is of Daniel in the lion's den. Who remembers that? Yes. If you haven't been in the church world, please look up the book of Daniel. This prophet goes through the first six books and you see the story of his life culminate in a moment where he then starts to dream. And after chapter six, it gets crazy and wild. And some of us love that, of all these pictures that speak of revelation. And we think of this, but this is the image that I found most powerful. It's painted by Britton Revere, Daniel's answer to the king. They say that Daniel, when facing the lions, was about in his 80s. Uh, we read that through Josephus and the historians. I love the fact that things are depicted in this picture that just paints a picture. The bones on the floor. You don't know if it's chicken bones. It's probably too big for a chicken bone. You see Daniel with his hands behind his back. And almost as if they're tied there, but you don't know if it's a little, you know, uh, armband or something. I don't know if it was fashion. Um, but he's facing these lions with a certain measure of confidence. When you read the book of Daniel, we'd have read that he was in an oven and he was saved with his mates, that he had a few dramatic experiences with God. He was a contemplative man. That is which led him to be such a dreamer. He shared dreams with kings. He had influence. There was a measure of confidence in him the day he was thrown into this lion's den. It wasn't as if he lived a normal life up until that point. And that is part of the story. So when you read Daniel 6, instead of reading the whole one, I believe that you can do that at home if you haven't done so already. We'll just quickly summarize it the best we can. The majority of the story is not really directly about Daniel, but about what happens to him. We know that King Darius is in charge at that time, just at the end of chapter 5. There's a transition between kings. We know that he loved Daniel. That he liked Daniel. He liked Daniel because Daniel was a hard worker, hard yakka. We're in Yugara country. It's the original land. And I only learned this week through uh, the incredible time that we've spent looking at the indigenous 
heritage that we have this week, uh, that that word, yugara, is actually directly translated to hard yaka. That's how, how more Aussie can you get? So I'm learning things. So hard work is part of this very land that we're on. Can we have an amen? No? Okay. <laughs> we know that Daniel was a satrap. Have you heard that word before? It's another word really for a type of a governor and administrator. They were the satraps and they were the administrators in that area. They were divided. The king divided them into different provinces. So they would govern and lead and administrate the different provinces in which they moved. They then didn't like the fact that Daniel was so good at his job and that there was favor on his life. He actually jumped the queue. He was an administrator. He jumped the queue above the satraps, and the king had plans for Daniel to have more authority. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when other people are blessed, I don't enjoy it as much as when I'm blessed. You know when someone comes to you with great news? Hey, my uncle passed away, and he left me a great inheritance. <laughs> I'm so happy for you, but am I? <laughs> it's only when I'm included, right, that I'm truly joyous in my innermost. It's not just when other people have favor. I believe that God empowers us through His Spirit to actually be happy for those that do well and not feel that we're missing out. Well, they couldn't handle it, and so they set this little trap. They go to King Darius, and they tell him, listen, mate, um, this guy is praying to all the gods, and we need to set a decree that if you pray to someone else, then, then you, oh dear great king, they say it a few times, then we have to put them to death. Because you're so glorious, we have to put them to death. And the king falls for it. Kings are often controlled by principalities and powers. They're not always the one pushing the red button. <laughs> Someone's leading their hand there. Okay. Some agree. And then he's caught in the act. And this is really the only time we have a little bit of insight. If you haven't read all the other books of Daniel, because you're a little bit lazy and you're just stepping into Daniel 6. This is a joke. Then he, um, he gets charged and he gets caught in the act of praying to this God in his home, in his own private place. And then they go and accuse it and they take it to the king as the accusers do. They do the work of the accuser, Satan. <laughs> and catch him in the act, they report it to the king, and the king says, okay, we have to execute him, it says it in the law, you caught me, we don't have a choice. And over the whole night, this king is in terrible turmoil as he wrestles with himself, should I, should I not, should I, should I not, am I going to have mercy, I can't break my own law, it's going to look bad when we go up the ranks to Caesar, and so he decides to follow through, but the whole night he stays awake, he loves Daniel, the king loves Daniel, he likes Daniel, he has plans for Daniel. And so in the morning he waits and then he runs to this, um, this place where the lions are in the den and he, the stone is sealed by the ring of the king and so they take the stone away. Sounds familiar? We, we know that story. Talk about it a bit more. And he calls into the cave and he says, Daniel? <laughs> it's my best uh, version of, I don't know, you can't read in the scriptures, it sounds different. Daniel, he's like, you know, he's in his 60s, Daniel's about in his 80s, we think, and Daniel comes around the corner, as you do, probably with his hand still behind his back, hey, <laughs> and um, this king is so impacted by it, it changes everything, he, he doesn't really do a good thing, he takes all the accusers and their children and their families and he throws them in the lion's den, and they say before they even hit the ground, they were gone. 
The lions must have been really hungry. The lions do what lions do. And if they're not fed, they're just going to do that. Same with kings sometimes. Is they just have to prove that they are in control. The result of this moment has an impact not just on Daniel's life and the people of that time, but eventually culminates in the release of the people of God back to Jerusalem. They're given freedom and they go back and they rebuild it and they build a temple and there's this next new season through King Cyrus, which followed him, Cyrus the Great. Daniel had an impact in his world, but how did he do it? And there's this little portion of scripture that just stands out to me that I want to stop at this morning that I think is deeply relevant to the time and place we're in. We're in some type of Babylon. Not the same because we don't, we don't live in captivity. We're not slaves directly. Someone's not waiting at our door, locking it at night and standing there. But in a lot of ways, we are slaves. We're slaves to consumerism. We're slaves to materialism. We're slaves to the media. We're slaves to the kings of our day speaking. We just can't stop that when that update comes in the middle of the day on Facebook, hey, someone's talking. (laughs) You just have to watch it because you feel that that dictates the happiness of your life. We as Christians, as followers of the way, know that we follow a different king. We pledge allegiance to a different king. And that those things are important and we honor them and we go into flow and we, we want the best for everyone. But we have an authority that's different than what the world follows. First thing that stood out, Daniel did good work. Good work in that he did his job well. We read in verse 3, now Daniel so distinguished himself amongst the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Why? They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Isn't it that when you meet someone, sometimes, especially being a Christian yourself, you just know that they know the king of kings? There's this couple that live above our road, and the other day I walked around trying to tell them about a recent crime in the street. And When I met them, I just knew that these were different kinds of people. The way they postured, the way they did things, the way he cleans his car on a Friday afternoon. Either he really loves his car, <laughs> or he's trying to live out this Christ-like life of being a good steward. They always greet me, they always wave, they always smile, and I know that their lives aren't that simple. He was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. Are you a good worker? It's important because it's the way that the world sees that there's something different about you. It's not just in your words, it's in your deeds. And often it's the only thing that they have access to. Secondly, when this decree was announced, Daniel must have known that he was in trouble. (laughs) Because he worships God three times a day facing Jerusalem, as was his custom. So he had a decision to make. Am I going to continue to pray? Well, it wasn't difficult for him. He said yes, because he had hope, a confident expectation in the goodness of God, the things that he achieved before. He continued to pray. Verse 10 says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. 
Just as he, sometimes when we're stopped doing something, we just want to do it. <laughs> we never train at the gym, but then COVID comes and why can't I train at the gym? We never swim in the swimming pool, but then COVID comes and now I can't swim in the swimming pool. <laughs> sometimes we do that with prayer. We never pray, but then crisis comes. I'm going to, the word of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> I'm joking, but I do it myself. When I'm under pressure, when I'm under the pump, these knees are on the ground. Not always when things are going well. So he continued to pray. He had an existing prayer life. He was doing good and he was praying to his God every day. I love that. He just went back to his natural rhythms. But then there's a third little thing that I just can't seem to skip. And I've been trying to research architecture and the history of the buildings of the day. And they say that the ancient um, Egyptians had papyrus scrolls rolled down. So it was like a little blind. Don't know the weather of the area, but they say here that the windows were opened. Now, when Daniel, I'm going to read it again, learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Now, there's significance in the fact that it opened towards Jerusalem. We won't talk about that, but the windows were opened. When Daniel went up to pray, he knew that the windows were open. He could have closed the windows. He could have done that internal little prayer where you don't make any noise. <laughs> he made a decision that he was going to pray as he always did before, and he's going to do it with the windows open. Are your windows open? Or have you privatized your faith? You see, there was action in Daniel. Good works. But he also had contemplation. He had a deep sense and awareness of the presence of God. There was prayer in his life before the chaos came. And he had open windows. He wasn't preaching on the street corner. He was praying in his house, but he had open windows. He knew that they were going to come and listen. He was in a place of power and authority. He's learned the diplomatic system and the fact that it's a farce. He knew that they were going to trap him. Yet, he prayed with his windows open. It's a public faith. Later on, much later on, we read in Luke 22. We read about Peter that makes a decision that was being spoken over his life before that he would disown Jesus three times before the rooster crows. Let's read that. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. This is Jesus being led to his judgment to his trial. Peter followed at a distance, of course, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with him. A servant girl <laughs> saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, I find it funny that it's a servant girl. Funny and profound, calling this leader to truth. This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, <laughs> I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not. Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, or is he a Galilean? And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The prophecy over this 
moment of denial. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord has spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Something in me looks to Daniel and says, that's what I'm going to do. If the trouble comes, I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to pray with my windows open. Even if I know that I'm going to be thrown to the lions. And then something else speaks to me and says, AJ, hey. <laughs> Don't you see yourself in Peter sometimes? Now we know that this was a turning point for Peter because he then went on to start the church. He was also persecuted later and he also paid with his life. But this was a moment, a metanoia moment, a moment of repentance, of turning your life around. He went outside and he wept bitterly. You see, he also had a relationship with God. He met him face to face. He had a prayer life. He had contemplation. He had action. He was a man of action. He was the brother that would take out the sword, the one that you'd take to a bar fight. Peter was a man of action. No? Yeah? But when push come to serve, when the moment was there, he closed his window. I don't know about you, but I think both of those narratives include the room. We then continue to learn about the word that became fleshed and dwelt among us as he goes to his trial, Jesus. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. The who's who in the zoo was there. It was a zoo. <laughs> have you seen Parliament? Man, especially in the UK. Love them. But have you seen, it looks like it's crazy. Everyone's just shouting over each other. And, and then in some other more passionate countries, they jump the bench and it's on. Those are the ones we like. Something about a bit of buffo. It's crazy. Everyone's trying to accuse Jesus. He doesn't have anyone representing him. Where are the disciples? So they push Jesus in a corner. They continue to ask him questions. He doesn't like answering Herod. He struggles a bit with Pilate. If you are the Messiah, they say, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not Believe me, that must have frustrated them. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. <laughs> That's not a confession. I don't know what it is. They all asked, are you the Son of God? He replied, you say that I am. And then they said, why do we need more testimony? We have heard it from you and his own lips. Our windows are our testimony. Jesus did not close the window of that moment. He knew what was coming. He knew he would be resurrected, but he did not close the window. He went to pray and blood flowed from his face in the garden, but yet he did not close the window. Jesus experienced everything that we would have experienced in that moment, but he did not close the window because he was the very opinion of God, because he had a confident expectation in the goodness of the Father revealed in him as the very hope that walked this earth for us. Jesus is hope. We've heard it from his own lips. 
Daniel 6 and Luke 22 then play off each other as we see this narrative and the story. We have King Darius on this side. We have Herod Antipas. He wasn't the king. He was the king's son. We have the satraps. Can I hear an amen? We have the administrators. We have Pilate and we have Caiaphas, the high priest. So Pilate was also in charge, but he was a governor. We have Daniel in the lion's den. We have Jesus on the cross and resurrection. We have enemies destroyed as the king makes a decision. In Jesus, we have enemies included. We have Cyrus the Great that followed the story of Daniel and released the people of God to go back to Jerusalem and build what they needed to build that culminated in the kingdom of God coming. Because a man made a decision. And I believe it's the spirit of God that was in him that said, just pray, don't change anything. And through Jesus, his kingdom has come. The God of God, the, the God of life. And there was this decree that they spoke. Peace and prosperity of you. Then King Darius sent his message to the people. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble in the fear of the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders. Where? In the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. What a story. We have Daniel who did do good work and contemplated while doing it with open windows. We have Peter who closes a window, one window in a moment in his life, in private. And then we have Jesus doing good work and contemplation with open windows in public. My question to you this morning, I've got three. Are you doing good? Is the fruit of your faith experience good works on the outside and on the inside? Are you praying? Are you aware of the divine that sits inside of you, that leads you and guides you and empowers you? The very presence of God with a big P. Are your windows open? Is your faith public or have you privatized it? I think in many ways we've privatized Christianity. If you think in the business sense, you have a public entity that belongs to the people. It's the faith of the people. It's the projects of the people, the six of them this Christmas. <laughs> it's the word in the people. It moves in and around them. It has its being, creates community. It speaks life. It includes. It has an open door with an open table. In Nakelo in Fiji, the village there, we have friends, and they sit just as the sun sets, and they sit on their floor. They don't have doors. I think some do, but they leave it open. And as they have dinner, they look across to the other houses around them. And if people there aren't sitting for dinner, what do they do? They close their door and they eat it all themselves. No, <laughs> they invite them. How radical the hospitality must be if we're Christians. Why do we have to lock these doors? Why are our houses locked? There's a little story in Luke 11 verse 33 going back a bit. Speaking about a light. No one would think of lighting a lamp and then hiding it in the basement 
where no one would benefit. A lamp belongs on a lampstand where all who enter may see its light. Our faith is a gift from God and the team can come up that belongs to the people. It's a public faith. It's personal, but it's not private. It's personal in the sense that we get to meet this living God and have a relationship with Him and experience this light, life that He gives us, both bright and light to carry. It's personal in that it, it soothes the soul, it brings healing to our very being. It's personal in that we can contemplate the very presence of God. We can see Him in the weeds in our garden. We can find Him in the ordinary. <laughs> we can see God in our angry children. It's good news, ah, but it belongs to everybody. Oh, how have we sometimes moved into this place where we feel that it's okay that we're just here worshiping our God when the God that we worship paid the price for everybody, every home, every door, every car, every person, everyone who does not believe in Him belongs to Him. Every person who bows to a different God belongs to the one that we know, that He embodied. He died for them. I'm excited. We all express it in different ways. I get that. And I, I confess this morning that I'm frustrated. Sometimes when we sing about resurrection and we can't move our bodies, I'm, I confess it's, not, it's me, it's not you. Because we're all different, right? That's okay. But man, if you're still here, I hope you walk in your house. I hope you're back and forth praying. I hope your windows are open. I hope that when you meet people in the day, you smile at them. I hope so. It's okay if we don't worship the same. But can we just be a little bit positive in the hope, is the confident expectation and the goodness of God? I know it's like intimidating. And I know that when someone's positive, it aggravates us. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's not my heart. And I know that when someone is vulnerable, it irritates us. Because it puts up the mirror to our own lives. We look at them and we say, why are you so open? Ugh. Yucky. Get away from you. You're exposing something I want to hide in the basement of my life. But isn't that what we do? We shine light with his darkness. We engage our world. We don't hide it. If you're not there, it's okay. But man, if you know this, come on, let's live it out. Is this, are you with us? Not just me. I'm, I'm with you. Are we, are we going to do this together? We're going to worship God this morning. Thank you. Lead us. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you were encouraged by the message and would like to hear more sermons like this, make sure you hit subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To experience other messages, videos, and live services, head to oranahills.church and navigate to the resources tab. Thanks for listening.